0: I'm Katie Nagy-Denagy-Baxson, a partner in the corporate team at CMS. In today's episode, I'm talking to Andrea Summer, co-founder and CEO of Hive Founders, about investment readiness, how founders can best communicate their brand story, and using difference as an advantage. Thank you for joining us today, Andrea.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: So first of all, it would be really great to hear a little bit about Hive Founders and how this was initially established. Yeah, so
1: Hive Founders started about five years ago when my co-founder, Felicia Mirat Singh and I were building our first businesses. I was building a business called Hiver in the analytics and AI space. She was building a Coney in the FinTech space. And we kept running into each other at different pitch events. Um, and then going for a cup of tea or a glass of wine afterwards and commiserating about how we were the only women pitching, how there were no or just one woman investor in the room, and overall how the experience of building a business and fundraising was very different for us as women as it was for our male counterparts. And we quickly realized this was not unique to us. Other female founders were also experiencing these differences. And so we started to bring the founders within our network together to try to help us build better businesses. Initially, we started as a breakfast series where we'd have croissants and coffee, and we'd come around in a corner in a, in a circle and um, talk to each other about our problems and help each other solve them. Um, eventually, we moved into um, events uh, that were hosted on the topics that we wish we had known about when we were building our first businesses. Over the pandemic, those events went online. And then later, we started to, um, to do our investment readiness program, which was something that we had done informally to help founders prepare themselves. Um, But we decided to formalize that approach into a proper program um, to help founders with the preparation of themselves, their materials and also their businesses for the journey of investment.
0: I love the fact that this business started out of something that you felt you needed. You could see there was a gap in the market. And, you know, that's one of the I suppose that's one of the, the, the stories we hear from lots of founders. You see the gap in the market and you start your own business. Yeah, certainly we 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 experienced
1: it very firsthand. Um, and I, when when I we advise founders, we we're always talking about product market fit. But we sort of started with product market fit um, with this with this business, certainly.
0: Mm-hmm. So we established the Leadher's initiative after the Rose Review was published because we really recognized that we also needed to be part of the solution and try to help founders from minority groups when it came to securing funding. So how does Hive founders help early stage businesses to identify their strengths and ensure that they are effectively communicating their brand story to investors?
1: um so our investment readiness program does this in a couple of different ways the most important thing in an early stage business from an investor perspective is really the founder so we start with the founder at the core and we help the founder understand the role that they play in making their business a success and also communicate their business successfully Um, we also um, work with founders to help them with the stamina that's required around investment, around the investment process, in particular, fundraising is can be a very lengthy process. You hear a lot of nos, you know, usually it's like one yes to every hundred nos, and it can take a take a toll on a founder emotionally. So preparing yourself for that um, with the high levels of resilience is super important. On the other side, we also work with them on their business and making sure that their business has all the pieces in place. an investor will be looking at um, to evaluate the opportunity. And investors look at a a pitch deck, and they really only spend about 10 to 15 seconds on each slide. So it's a matter of communicating very succinctly and very clearly what the actual aspects of the business are in a way that, that makes them easy to understand for any investor of any background. And then finally, it's about having the right materials in place. So um, the investment process requires not only the pitch deck, but there are supplementary materials. And we wanna make sure that once founders have everything in their place, in particular with financial models, which is something that can be very time consuming to create, then they should have everything in place at the start of their investment journey so that they can activate um, and get into the fold any investors who are interested as quickly as possible. So they don't waste any money with creation or, or the distraction of creation during the actual investment process. The other thing that I would mention um, around um, around the founders is really to utilize your sense of difference within um, as a founder. So when I was first raising my 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 initial funding round for my first business, I initially um, tried to make myself appear more like the other founders that I was seeing pitching, and all of those founders were men. And so I really um i really tried to to fit in and to try to make myself more man like in some ways i would wear a dark suit and i'd be m- kind of more try to hide my femininity a little bit and actually what I realized um, down the road as my investment journey went on is that actually my difference was a competitive asset the fact that I was one of maybe two women in the room meant that I was memorable and so I actually decided to try to highlight that so instead of going into the kind of like the the dark suit approach I would wear a red suit or a dress that uh, and with some statement jewelry that would try to emphasize the fact that hey I'm a, a bit different I also had a different accent so try to emphasizing those differences made me memorable because if an investor can't remember me then they're certainly not going to invest in me um so i would encourage also founders and we do encourage within our programs and our advice to encourage founders to find that kind of golden nugget within theirs themselves which um highlights their sense of difference um to to highlight within the fundraising process and use that to your advantage rather than thinking about it as a
0: disadvantage And there's also something there about authenticity, isn't there? Because if you are trying to be like somebody else, you're not being your authentic self. And as you say, actually, what the investor is interested in is what you as a founder brings. And so being authentic has surely got to be, you know, more beneficial. Absolutely. And that is a
1: super important point that when when we say that founders are at the core of um, the investment process, especially in the early stage, that authenticity piece is so important and finding your voice uh, and your brand and building your business around around you, who you are as a founder is extremely important. Um, And also not only does that make your investment process more, uh, more authentic, but it makes your leadership style more authentic. So and businesses reflect the founders that create them. I always say it's a mirror, almost. You know, like the the co- your co founding team, or if you're a single founder, your business will will have the will bring the biases that you bring into the story. Um, but similarly, it'll reflect the your internal authenticity um, back to the investors. So tapping into that sense of um, authenticity is useful as you build your business and as you build your brand, but also in building the relationships with, with investors who will be with you. It's like a marriage. They will be with you for a long time, for the whole existence of your business. Um, and so coming into that relationship with a sense of authenticity can be really, really helpful.
0: I love the fact that you described it as a marriage, because this is one of the things that if people have heard me speak, that I often say that, you know, uh, get, getting an investor is is like Um, it's like a marriage but actually it's easier to get divorced than it is to get rid of an investor so choose your investor wisely (laughs) certainly true that is very true yeah so when you work with early stage founders what do you find is often the biggest hurdle that they have to overcome and how do you help them tackle that
1: Without a doubt, the biggest hurdle is the financial aspect. So, financial models are the most intimidating part for most founders that we speak with, and um, myself included when I first started. Um, it's very Excel sheets can be quite scary, um, and it's and it's um, but also a very important part of um, the the whole story, the whole narrative that you tell in the investment process. And not only that, but understanding your financial models clearly is a really good way of understanding the levers that you can pull as a founder as you manage your business on a day- to day so there's two two important reasons why financial models are important and also why they make but what, what makes them scary is that because they are so important um, our our approach with financial models is really to try to demystify the process as much as possible and empower founders with the tools to not only, create their own models um, so that they can go through the, the, the process of actually understanding the relationships of how parts of the models are connected to other parts, which helps create an intuitive sense um, of what the numbers are about um, and it makes them feel more concrete, um, but also we have a team of experts that can help founders navigate um, the 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 uh, the documents that they create um and uh and and understand that they are actually a supportive point of the narrative that you create within your pitch deck in particular so as your pitch deck is telling your story about why this is an opportunity you know what problem you're solving you know the competitive pressures the financial model reflects that story completely and some would even argue that it's almost better to start building your narrative through your numbers rather than through your story. I I I believe that founders need to find the way that they are most comfortable coming into the story and then finding the pieces to support them. And I always say to founders, instead of telling the story that um, that you think should be told, tell the story with the pieces that you have in place. So if you have a really good competitive landscape, um, use that and infor- use that to inform your financial process. If you have a really good um, problem and solution set because maybe you are the, the person you're the, cus- the target customer and you understand that really intimately or you have ha- have multiple years of experience in a particular industry, use that as the core um, to, to drive your your financial modeling process. but without a doubt financial models are the most intimidating part and also one of the most important.
0: And so if you've got a founder who's not particularly financially literate, you know, what do they do? Do you advise them to, you know, hire in someone who understands the numbers better than them? Or is it just a case of they actually have to just educate themselves? I think it's both. You certainly can have experts helping guide
1: you. But I think there is something really powerful by going through the process. And it is a painful process, unfortunately, of building your model yourself. And it could be, really, really crooked and broken, Um, but going through that process of understanding the relationship between the assumptions that are going into the business and how those assumptions translate into revenues, costs, et cetera, is really important. So what we recommend is in the initial stages, building your own model, And we have some guidance on how to do that um, on a hands-on basis, a DIY approach. And then once you have a good understanding of how those assumptions are related to the other parts of the model, then you can certainly hire someone to make it fancy because some investors like to see really fancy models, but I would not recommend the other direction. You don't wanna start with a really fancy model that you don't understand and you feel even more intimidated by. So it's better to create something that's simple and easy for you to understand and most importantly for you to defend because that's what you're going to need to do in an investor situation is defend that model and defend the logic within that model. And if you don't understand it, it's going to be practically impossible to do that. So start with something basic and then
0: you can definitely hire out to make something fancy down the road. That's really great advice. And, you know, we've all seen those pitches where the founder gets asked questions about the numbers and they crumble. And of course, you don't want to be that person because it doesn't matter how great you are as a founder, it, it just gives off that impression of um not having confidence in your business, which may be unfounded, but sadly that's how people interpret it, don't they?
1: Absolutely. That is absolutely the case. And I and I have seen that happen a lot, which is why I I really urge founders to get comfortable with the numbers and understand even the basics, because when an investor is asking a question about a model, they're not going to ask you a specific detail, like what's happening in May, you know, they're going to ask you about the logic. Financial models are useful to defend the fact that you have thought through all of the different mechanics of how the business performs. And that's what you defend when you're defending your logic um, is, is the logic of, of the thought that you've gone through. It's not about the specifics of the model it's about the thought process that goes behind it. And that's what, investors
0: want to see i think that's a really really good point it's not about the specific numbers it's about what lies behind the numbers and how you have reached them because i think people get very worried you know should this number be 20 or 22 that's not what an investor is necessarily asking you they want to understand how did you get to the 20 what does you say is is the logic behind that exactly really good advice We often hear that building a business takes a village, and that can certainly present challenges for founders who might not have the contacts and the network to support them in the early stages. How can founders make sure they're building a strong network and understand the best way to utilize the network once they've built it?
1: yes uh, i i always say that it is it does take a village to to build a business and and it's no joke that the ecosystem that you build around you is the strongest aspect of um your business the strongest predictor of your business success if you can't bring people along with you in the journey it's going to be very difficult to to be successful i think in terms of building a network it's about talking to people as much as possible and being really opportunistic with any conversation, because you never know actually when which conversation might lead you to a particular place, a particular contact, maybe an investor, maybe a customer, or maybe it's an insight. So my advice is always to talk to as many different people as possible, especially in the early stages, with an open mind and a creative approach. Um, and using those conversations to kind of take a step forward in a variety of directions in the initial stages of building a business. It's very experimental. You're going in a lot of directions. You're making a lot of places until you actually create something concrete that has a product market fit and all that. You don't know which direction this business is going to go necessarily. And so talking to people and tapping into the the relationships that you can find is super important. I really like the um, going to events and networking opportunities because you get to meet people who you have some commonality with, um, but also some differences with, um, but also using LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a really fabulous tool to um, extend your village and to connect with people. I'm always encouraging founders to not be afraid to just ask and reach out to someone and say, hey, you're doing something really interesting that could be um, could affect my business or could provide an interesting insight to my business. Can I tell you about what I'm building? Um, and let's discuss it. And nine times out of 10 people are willing to to have that conversation. And even if you, if you have one good insight from, from that discussion, then that's a win. So it doesn't have to be that every single person has to be completely strategic. Being opportunistic is really good as well because you never know who that person
0: knows or what that person will make you think about. And do you, Track your network. Do you have a system for working out? Because it's all very well going to events and meeting people, but then how do you keep sort of all that information in your head as to who might be useful for what? Do you know, do you have a, a kind of system that you use or you advise using?
1: Yeah, I I, I personally really like LinkedIn as a good tool um, to to keep your your network together. I have I do have Excel sheets as well that I use sometimes, in particular if I'm going into a new area. Um, And I'm meeting a lot of different people um, who are outside of kind of my traditional network. And I want to make sure that I understand their areas of expertise. Um, So just a simple Excel sheet can do. But also, depending on the volume of people that you're interacting with and the complexity of the ecosystem that you're building, CRM tools can be really useful as well. And we do use those as well and recommend those as well. because those help you could tag people more more um, efficiently you can search more more quickly but i would only recommend going down the crm route if you're once your network reaches a certain size um, and you also have some ideas of how how the splits are within the network um, so that you you're not um spending too much time populating a crm system when an excel sheet will just do do just just fine so but it is it is important to manage it's a very good point um, to keep and also engaging with the network regularly sending updates um and um you know and just reaching out to people so that it's not transactional going back to that sense of authenticity you know creating the authentic relationship is really important as you build your village
0: and connected to the idea of networks um we have a lot of companies who come to us and will talk to us about whether they should put in place an advisory board or that they have an advisory board what's your views on advisory boards and is there Um, you know, a point in which the business grows that you think you really need to have one or should you be trying to put one in place from the very early stages? What are your your thoughts? I think advisory boards are super important.
1: They're instrumental um, in making a business successful. And I sort of see advisory boards in two categories. One category is the advisory board that fills the gaps that you have within your founding team. So for example, if your team has um, a solid technology aspect, but not so much business, getting advisors on the business side is important. Similarly, if you have a lot of business people, but not a lot of technology um, aspects, getting an ad- advisors that can fill the technology aspects. So whatever gaps are within your team, finding advisors who can fill them, super, super important. The other part of uh, advisory boards that I am a big fan of are customer advisory boards. And those are boards that bring together your early adopters maybe a handful of them, maybe a little more, and includes them and embeds them into your product development process. And customer advisory boards in that capacity are so useful for ensuring that um, your product actually is solving the needs of the customer in the way that the customer wants it to be solved. So having those customers right there then and there where you can go to with questions. Part of the product development process is about learning what to say yes to, but more importantly, learning what to say no to. And having your customers right there, helping you navigate that yes, no, is so, so important and so helpful for your um, product development process. So I can cannot state enough how important it is to build a customer advisory board um, to, uh, to really embed it into your product process. No matter what, whether you have an advisory board or not, you should be embedding your customer feedback within your process, but an advisory board makes it really easy to do.
0: And Andrea, aside from having a broad network and an advisory board what other resources can a founder call upon to support the growth of their business while they're building their product or building their platform
1: um i think that having um, a whole ecosystem of uh contacts is important but also peers you know uh, having other founders who are on the same journey or on the same stage of journey is so important It's a very lonely process, building a business. Um, um, It is quite isolating, um, especially when you have a team and you're the only one as a leader, it's very difficult because you don't have a lot of people to talk to about the challenges that you're facing. So building a community of peers that you can go to with questions um, that are a safe space for you to, um, to, to be vulnerable um, is really, really important. And and, and I have built amazing relationships, amazing friendships with other founders who are building businesses together at the same time that I was, um, just because we were going through that same difficult journey (laughs) together. Um, And so I highly recommend finding peer support um, as well as the formal support within the structures of the business.
0: And of course, that's how Hive Founders came about was because of the peer network that you had created with Felicia and, you know, the other women working um, in in startups.
1: Exactly. And Hive Founders was really born out of this need um, to create not only a better experience for us as founders, but a less isolating experience. And what we try to do within our network, even though our network has grown and we're now over 500 um, members, we want to create a really safe space for founders to be open and vulnerable, to ask questions, to find resources, and to just help them navigate the challenges um, during their business building process. But by creating a safe and, and uh, a safe space where people have the confidence to be vulnerable, have the confidence to be open, we can provide them with a level of support that um, is not found elsewhere. Um, So that's really the impetus for us creating High Founders and really the core of what we do today is really to continue to create
0: that safe space for learning and for growing and for business building. So, Andrea, I would usually finish up by asking you for a commitment as to how you will help other founders over the next year. However, given your business, you're already doing so much to um, support female founders um, perhaps instead, you could share some information on how founders could get involved in the investment readiness program and any other new initiatives that you have coming up.
1: Great. Yeah. So um, the next cohort of our investment readiness program launches um, in January. Um, and But we do run the program four times a year. So if founders are getting ready for uh, fundraising in the next three to six months, then they can visit our website, um, highfounders.net. Um, or get in touch with me and I can tell them more about how to apply um, and about um, the specifics around the program. The other thing that we are uh, planning to launch um, soon is actually our own High Founders Village. And what I mean by that is we are going to be launching an investment syndicate that will be focused on investing in the female founders within our community. And we are bringing together all the relationships and connections and investors within our ecosystem into that syndicate. Uh, so if founders wanna get involved um, or if investors wanna get involved, then they can reach out to me again through our website and um, we can have a conversation to see if it's the right fit. And this is, this is a good opportunity for any investor who is wanting to diversify their portfolio with um, high quality uh, businesses that have had a level of diligence and support through our network. Um, Founders who are interested in um, applying for the syndicate can also get in touch either through our
0: investment readiness program or just directly through me. Well, wow, that's super exciting. We also, as well as supporting female founders, love to support female investors, as we know that female investing is both beneficial for female led businesses, but also it's great financial sense for women to be investing as well. So um, very much in favour of that. Sounds like a great initiative. Really excited to see what you do there. As Andrea said, if you would like more information on Hive Founders, then visit hivefounders.net. And if you want to hear more about CMS's startup program, EQUIP, or the LeadHers initiative, go to the Startup section of cms.law.